Digital marketing is more competitive than ever. Being completely honest, that's the state of play. More businesses are spending a higher proportion of their marketing budgets on digital. Most of the platforms that we're advertising or marketing on are basically a zero-sum game. It's people competing against each other. That makes it way more competitive than it has ever been. So the key to success over the next 12 months is really nailing down the basics. Contrary to what a lot of people think, success in digital marketing isn't about always playing up to every single platform and being the most up-to-date on every single platform that you can possibly be. We've distilled it down to five questions that you need to answer to direct your digital marketing over the next 12 months to make this the highest growth year that you've seen yet. By the way, we use these questions internally and for our clients, and some of our clients have grown 30x over the last couple of years. So these questions work. We've battle-tested them. And by the way, stick around for the fifth one because it's the most profitable marketing activity we've ever seen. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. We're a team of ninjas. We like to help our clients generate more leads and sales from their websites. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. By the way, if you're a regular listener, thank you so much. The growth of the podcast has been amazing this year. And it's really awesome to read all the reviews. So thank you for everyone who's left a review or who listens to the podcast and shares it and all that type of stuff. We haven't, we don't check the podcast stats too often. And when we do, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. We've had such great growth. So thank you everyone who's been supporting the podcast. Anyway, today we're talking about five questions that you can use to shape and direct your digital marketing over the next 12 months to make sure this is the best year that you have for growth. Now, your competitors will be spending more time and money on digital than ever. So it's never been more important to stand out and stand out by nailing your positioning and differentiation. This area is usually overlooked. People just want to get more traffic, right? They buy how to get to the top of Google because they want to increase their website traffic and that will solve all of their problems. And yes, more website traffic definitely solves a lot of problems. It's a fantastic thing to do. But what happens is if they haven't sorted out this positioning and the key messaging and differentiation first, they end up getting a bunch of traffic to their site, which underperforms. And in some cases, they can be driving traffic for years before they ever get this stuff sorted. Then they get this stuff sorted and realize actually they could have got so much traction over the prior years if they'd have had really clear positioning and differentiation. Businesses that get this wrong basically struggle to get traction. It's one of the most common things that we see with companies that ask us for free reviews. If they're struggling to get any sort of traction, the positioning and the differentiation is poor. There's no reason why anybody would buy from them. So it doesn't really matter what they try with traffic generation, it doesn't really work out. The ad cost will be too high to be profitable. Um, they'll do SEO, but they won't be converting that organic traffic. So the first question that you can ask yourself this year is who are you selling to and why should they buy from you rather than your competitors? One simple question that's so, so difficult to answer. Who are you selling to and why should they buy from your competitors? Well, kind of technically it's two questions, but I ask it with a comma in the middle. So therefore it's one question. Now, even when you have an answer to this question, you might be a very established brand. I know that we've got some very established brands listening. You might think, right, great, we've got our answer, but it's always worth checking back every 12 months to firstly make sure that that message hasn't changed, your target audience and your reason that people should purchase from you hasn't changed. And secondly, to make sure that it is abundantly clear in all of your digital marketing. This is the sort of thing that you put in your PPC ad copy. It's the sort of thing you plaster all over your website, make sure it's running through your emails. This should be everywhere. Let's talk through some different examples. 
So I'm really obsessed with luxury watches and I don't mean owning them. I used to have a really nice watch and I thought when I get this luxury watch, I'll be so happy. I It was a Hublot Aero Fusion. You can see like through it and it was all cool and stuff. And then I realized this thing like, yeah, it tells the time, but it doesn't tell the time as well as my Apple Watch. And it doesn't track activity as well as my Apple Watch. So actually, you know, it's, it's kind of not that good. And as a watch, it's not great. Um, but as a way of making people think that you're really well off and successful. Yeah, it's a great tool. But the whole luxury watch positioning thing absolutely obsesses me. It's fascinating because this is potentially a product which is inferior in its core its core ability, right? Telling time. It's actually inferior to the cheapest smartwatch today. Manual watches, they lose time. If you don't wear them or you don't keep them spinning, they run out and you've got to rewind them and then you've got to set their time again, usually using a smartwatch to find out the real time. They're just not great as a watch, but as a positioning and differentiation tool, they're absolutely fascinating. This is you know, it's one of those businesses that is sort of as close to pure marketing as you can get. Now, Patek Philippe is arguably one of the sort of foremost names in the luxury luxury watch space. And it's really interesting why people buy from them. So people pay, you know, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of pounds for these watches because the watches make them feel special. Patek tells a great story about how it takes months to build these watches. They're a very limited run. And if you wear one, everyone's going to know that you're rich. And it's basically a signaling tool for importance and wealth. And that runs through all of their marketing. It runs through all of the ads they run. It's really clear on their website. It's all about craftsmanship and, you know, these people doing these tiny little setting, these tiny little gems and all this stuff. It's not about telling time at all. They've got a very clear positioning, very clear differentiation against both other competitors, you never really own a Patek Philippe, you just look after it for the next generation, and against other watch solutions, we could call them. Now, if we contrast this with Shein, the fast fashion brand that you've heard us talk about loads, they are completely other end of the spectrum. Who are they selling to? Why should people buy from them? Well, they're selling clothing to price conscious young people that want to wear the sorts of looks that they see celebrities and social influencers wearing, right? Their target audience is really clear through the images they use. They reflect their target audience in the images everywhere. And their messaging is hinted at once or twice on their website. I'm just looking at their website. I'm recording this on Black Friday. Their website is just black and red, up to 85% off. You've got offers all over the place. I can't even tell what's website and what's pop-up. There are so many offers all over the place. It's immediately obvious that this is a price-based sale. So very, very straightforward. Who are they selling to? Why should people buy from them? Now, let's look at a completely different business, Salesforce. Again, we've talked about Salesforce before. Who is Salesforce selling to? Why should they buy? They call out their target industries on their website. Really, really clear. If you're in, let's just have a look at who their industries are listed. Automotive, communication, consumer goods, education, energy, utilities. If you're in one of these spaces, you're going to see yourself called out specifically on the website with a page. They also have a really clear theme running through all of their website and all of their marketing about making their customers more money. That's their position. That's what they use to differentiate themselves against other like CRM platforms. If you look at Zoho's website, for example, which is potentially a Salesforce competitor, the headline is your life's work powered by our life's work, a unique and powerful software suite to transform the way you work, designed for businesses of all shapes and sizes, built by a company that values your privacy. There's no mention of you're going to make more money from this tool, right? So Salesforce has positioned themselves completely differently to those competitors by talking about money, by being what they call it Salesforce, right? It's the, the clue is in the name. So that's your first question. 
who are you selling to and why should they buy from you rather than your competitors? And then the sort of sub question is, and is that immediately obvious across all of your marketing material? All right, next up, your website and your digital marketing efforts will only be as good, or sorry, your digital marketing efforts will only be as successful as your website. All the traffic you get, the majority of your leads or customers is going to be coming through your website. Your site should be working really, really hard for you. It should be giving a great first impression, super important, and it should give you and your team the flexibility to add and adjust content yourself without needing to negotiate with developers, wait six months, all that type of stuff. I understand for some businesses, as soon as stuff starts going through legal, it's going to take six months to get a blog post uploaded. I get that. But your site should at least allow it. It shouldn't be a difficult thing to do. You should be able to see and understand how users are interacting with your site and where they're falling down. Now, one of my favorite exercises when I'm giving a talk in a seminar is I'll ask volunteers who's going to put their website up on this screen behind me, this massive screen so that we can all look at it and rip it to shreds, right? And you watch people sort of shrink down in their seats, recoiling in horror. Now, the punchline is I say, right, imagine, right, you're, you're all so embarrassed of your website that you won't show it to a room full of potential customers. Because there are businesses in the audience where the other audience members are their potential customers. They won't even get their website on the screen because they're so embarrassed of it. So imagine if you had a salesperson where there was a room full of customers and you were too embarrassed of that salesperson to send them in, right? The equivalent of the people being embarrassed of their website. You'd either train or fire that person. So why set lower standards for your website? Your website should be like your hardest working employee, your hardest working marketing asset. So the second question to ask is, honestly, are you proud of your website and does it deliver on your growth targets for the next 12 months? In the words of Brian Tracy, if the answer is no, the only other question is how quickly can I resolve this? There you go. That's my one and only Brian Tracy impression. So your second question, how honestly are you proud of your website? Does it deliver on your 12 month growth targets? And if no, how quickly can you resolve this? Now there's a second question, which is also three questions. And by the way, if you're not sure whether you're not, you should be proud of your website, which is totally fair. Often we get so close to our sites that we can't see where they fall down. Then feel free to request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. Just go to ExposureNinja.com. We'll ask you a few questions, ask you about your website, your current digital marketing. We'll then give you an honest appraisal, which we'll send to you by video, usually within two to three working days. It's incredible. So go to ExposureNinja.com for that. I should probably say that more slowly for people who haven't Listen before ExposureNinja.com. There we go. Right, next. One trend that is showing no sign of slowing in the next 12 months is an increasing reliance on owning your own data. Not just data of customers, but data of potential customers. Now more than ever, this means your marketing needs to result in some sort of data collection. Followers are great. Views are great. You know, all this audience out there that you've got, reputation is great. That's all fantastic. But if you've got the potential customer's contact details, mainly their name, email address, and preferably a mobile phone number so you can do SMS to them, that's even better. You've got a much better chance of generating the sale because you can follow up with them by email, by SMS, through retargeting and remarketing to them. The challenge is we want the customer data, we want the potential customer data, but to get people to give you their details, you need to give them an incentive and the bar is raising. So how do we do this? Well, let's talk through some examples. Um, I'm on a website called gltc.co.uk, greatlittletradingcompany.co.uk. And they're an e-commerce site. They sell like, um, oh, my wife loves this stuff. They sell uh, sort of children's furniture, I guess you call it, like little, you know, chests of drawers and boxes and stuff to put things in storage, basically. 
storage is like a you know the storage part of my brain just it doesn't exist honestly um i used to live in a house where all of my possessions were in a pile <laughs> no joke um anyway <laughs> anyway that's another story but Sites like this do a great job of capturing customer and potential customer data, not just from people who've made a purchase, but from people who are landing on the page and potentially about to make a purchase. They will incentivize you. They'll give you money for your email address. They'll give you £5 off or £10 off or $10 off or 20% off in order to capture your details. And they do this as soon as you land on the page. So you don't have to scroll through the site. This isn't like a oh, you've been here for a little while. This is like, as soon as you land on the site, bam, get some money. We're going to give you five pounds off. We're going to give you $5 off. And the reason they're doing this before they've had a chance to see if you navigate through the site is because if you don't navigate through the site, they still want to follow up with you. As soon as they can capture your data, they can start following up with you. Um, I think I'd give an example later on. Yeah, I think I'd give an example later on of a client who, who we've done this for, and it's been transformative to the numbers in their business. So capturing data as soon as someone lands on the page. Now, so obviously, that's the e-commerce version of this. If you're a lead gen business, another way that companies do this, um, Octopus Energy. I don't know if you know these. If, if you're outside of the UK, then obviously you wouldn't, but they're like an energy firm. So they're utilities company, basically. And they're a pretty good digital marketing case study because they do, they've taken a sort of digital first approach in a very boring, traditional sort of corporate and a bit sluggish market. And they've done really, really well from it. So if you go on their site, let's say that you're looking for a heat pump, for example, you go on their site and there's a big button that says get a heat pump estimate. And it takes you through this questionnaire to get a price for this heat pump thing. Now, as you're going through this questionnaire, you're investing the time in filling in this form. You're thinking through all the answers to the questions. It takes a few minutes to do it. Then the genius part is you think that you're going to get an estimate. They think you think that they're going to give you a price. They don't give you a price. They say, right, name, email, let's get your details. Once you've given them your details, they can then follow up with you and they can give you a price. But this is a lead capture piece. They're capturing their customers' data. They're not just giving you an estimate and letting you just run off into the hills and decide whether you want to come back or not. They're capturing your data before they give you the thing that you want. So they've incentivized you with this quote, this estimate, but they get the data first. Going back to Salesforce, we talked about them a bit earlier. If you want a free trial of Salesforce, guess what? You've got to fill in the details. If you want to watch demos of Salesforce, guess what? You've got to fill in your details. And they will accept a lower view rate on these demos because guess what? Some people aren't going to fill in their details in order to view the videos. They're just not going to do that. They're not going to take that risk. They're not going to pay that price to see the videos. But Salesforce is happy to make that trade-off knowing that they're going to get a whole bunch of customer data from people who are going to view demos, which wouldn't have booked the free trial, which they can now follow up on. And net, that's going to be positive for their sales. So I would encourage you to think about how can you incentivize people to obviously give you your details, but how do you insert the data capture piece before you give them a result on your website? You also see media companies doing this. You see newspaper sites and magazine sites. You land on the page. You want to read the article. You scroll halfway down. It says sign in to view this article free. And then you have to put your data. Why do they do this? Because then they've got your details and they can upsell you on a membership. Now, it's important to differentiate this as a user and a business. So as a user, you might think, oh, it's a bit annoying. I don't like these pop-ups on an e-commerce store. Having said that, you'll probably fill in your details in order to get some sort of discount. Or you might think, oh, it's really annoying when I land on a site and, you know, I'm trying to read an article and it's gated behind this email capture. Yeah, it's really annoying, but it works, which is why everyone's doing it. And it works really, really well. And if you're not capturing data, then in a world where 
Apple's taking away our advertising data. Google Chrome is going to be, you know, the end of cookies there as well. We need to make sure that we own our own customer and potential customer data. So your third question, how are you incentivizing people to give you their contact details? Don't just wait for a customer. Okay, next thing. More than ever, we marketers are spoilt for choice with traffic sources. Let's think about it. What have we got to play with in our arsenal? We've got SEO, and there's like five different flavors of SEO. We've got pay-per-click search, shopping, Amazon pay-per-click. We've got paid social. We've got eight to 10 social media platforms. We've got display ads. We've got Amazon organic rankings. We've got digital PR. We've got podcasts. We've got webinars. It's so easy to get distracted by the shiniest new object to come along. Remember Clubhouse. For a few weeks, everyone thought that Clubhouse was the future of marketing and that all other digital content was just a complete waste of time. We all needed to spend all our time in Clubhouse rooms. Where has it gone? I don't know. Recently uninstalled the app, haven't been on it in years. It's so interesting, isn't it, how these things come and go. Despite all the change and noise, the key to effective marketing, though, is focus, particularly if you have limited resources. And, and I hate to break it to you, but every single company has limited resources. We've worked with and consulted with some of the large world's largest brands. And guess what? They have limited resources. They can't sign off on different things because they have limited resources. You think that large companies, they can just do everything. No, they cannot. They have to focus. That's what made them a large company. One of the mistakes that smaller companies and challenger brands make is they try and do absolutely everything and they try and crank it up to 10. Well, the key is deciding where to allocate your attention and which channels you're going to focus on. This can make the difference between finding a great source of customers and multiplying them through scaling that source versus spreading yourself so thin that you fail to get traction anywhere. So question four is, where do your target audience spend their time online and how do you plan on reaching them over the next 12 months? Now, three ways to find out where your customers or your best potential customers spend their time online. Firstly, you can straight up ask them. This is actually my favorite way. With all the data and all the analytics that we have, just ringing up your best customers and saying, look, where do you spend your time? Which social channels do you go on? If you were looking for something like what we do, where would you go? This can be so interesting because it's so easy when you're looking at like Google Analytics data or whatever to just view things as numbers. But when you have some sort of virtual people in your head, these customers, and you can keep them in mind much more easily, you can bounce ideas off them. You can say, okay, is this going to resonate with this customer persona? And you can start bouncing ideas off, which actually makes you a much better marketer than if you're just purely looking at data and you don't really humanize any of this data. We've run surveys, we've run all sorts of stuff with customers, but I'm personally a big fan of just booking some calls with people and just asking them, just talking to them. This helps you build this sort of visualized customer persona in your head. I think it's like Earl Nightingale or someone had this um, this virtual mentor group or something that they, they sort of built in their head and they'd go to this sort of board meeting in their mind and ask their their virtual mentors, like what they should do in their life and stuff like that. I'm horribly misquoting this, but some personal success guru type Dale Carnegie or Earl Nightingale type stuff had this concept. And I think it works really well for marketers. If you can visualize like a board meeting of your best customers and you can bounce ideas off them, you can say, oh, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking of changing our angle here. Like, how's this going to work for you? Or we're thinking of going full on TikTok and you just watch their faces be like, what? Uh, no, I don't use that. No. You know, we had a breakthrough the other uh, a few weeks ago when I was just doing this with some of our clients and talking about, you know, what social channels do you use? Well, like three of the five first people I spoke to said they didn't use any social media at all, but all of them use LinkedIn. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? 
because I don't personally prioritize LinkedIn at all. I find the whole thing just really annoying. But you know, if your customers are there, you need to get there. The second way of finding a uh, way your customers hang out is obviously to use analytics. And if you use Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics, whatever, have a look at where not just your top traffic sources are coming from. That's a common mistake that people make. But having a look at where your top conversion, you know, your converter traffic sources are coming through. So, you know, building those audience segments, which is the converters, the people that have converted, become a lead, become a sale. Where are they coming from? You might be getting loads of traffic from, I don't know, social or search or Amazon or whatever. But it may or may not be converting. That might not be where your most valuable customers are coming from. The third thing that you can do is reverse engineer your competitors. So stick your competitors into SEMrush and just have a look and see what are they ranking for? What are they advertising for? Have a look at what they're doing on social. Have a look at the Facebook ad library. See what sort of ads they're running in there. Have a look at them on Amazon if they're doing that. Like, are they paying to sponsor their listings? You can basically work out fairly easily where your competitors are putting their time and energy and how much resource they're putting into each of these areas as well. The most successful businesses that we work with on their marketing, they are typically only prioritizing one to three marketing channels. Really important, right? We work with some huge brands typically prioritizing one to three marketing traffic channels to their website. Now, that's not to say they're only working on one to three. They might be doing 10 but they're prioritizing one to three because they know that those channels bring outsized rewards, okay? So let me give you some examples. Uh, B2B accreditation uh, company that we work with, um, very successful. We help them blow up their ranking with organic and paid search traffic. That's great for them because they're solving a known problem that people are searching for. They sell something that people are looking for, so targeting search makes loads of sense for them. Another client that we work with sells chocolate with benefits. <laughs> chocolate with benefits, so like chocolate with add-ons to do different things for you. Now, Facebook ads is working really, really well for them because whilst this might not be something that people are necessarily searching for, if we can introduce the concept and start building familiarity with the brand through an interruption platform like Facebook ads, we can get a great return on ad spend for them. When this is more of an established brand later on that people are searching for and they've got some branded search, then yeah, targeting search would be great. When this product category itself is well established, then targeting search would be great as well. There's a company that we've worked with over many years and we, uh, when we started working with them, the thing that they were selling wasn't really well known at all. So it's kind of pointless targeting commercial keywords for them because people just weren't searching. The volume was like nothing. So we had to target really informational search terms, the solutions to people's problems that this thing solved, even if people didn't know that it was the solution to their problem. And then over time, as more people became aware of this particular solution and even this category of solutions, it made more sense to tar start targeting those keywords because now there was search volume. But up until then, not really much point. So again, if you need help identifying what your top traffic sources should be, Request a free review from Exposure Ninja at ExposureNinja.com and we'll help you get this all sorted. Okay, question five. Well, not there yet, but you know your email list, right? Yeah, that group of people sitting in your MailChimp account that you opened in 2014. You never really contact them. Yeah, yeah, I know. Don't worry, you're not alone. <laughs> it's very, very common. People have these email lists that they've built over years. They don't really know what to do with them. They just sit there sort of gradually eroding and becoming less and less connected. Anyway, most businesses have way more money sat in their email list than they could possibly imagine. Let me give an example. So one of our clients sells furniture. They built up an email list, but they didn't really actively market to them at all. Like very, very common situation. Nor did they collect email addresses on their website unless someone made a purchase. Again, very common when someone makes a purchase, right, we'll stick them in an email list so we can send them some offer or whatever later on and then never do anything with them. 
but they didn't capture those emails as soon as someone landed on the page. This is very common for both service and e-com and of course software as well. So what we did is we added a pop-up, one of those really annoying pop-ups that incentivizes people uh, to drop in their email list and we set up a few different automated email streams. So the first stream that we set up is when someone filled in that form, if they didn't do anything else on the website, we'd send them a welcome sequence. So this is a sequence of timed emails that introduced them to the brand, sold people on why they should buy from this company and all that type of stuff. Um, another uh, email stream that we set up was to visitors that have browsed the product range or added something to their basket. So these people, we either sent browse abandonment. So, hey, it looks like you've been looking through our website, but you didn't really find anything that you wanted. Were there any of the other products in this category that you might be interested in? Or basket abandonment, which is, you know, the typical thing that you see. You put something in your cart, then they email you and say, hey, you put this in your cart. Do you want to go and check out? So we set up those streams as well. And the final email stream was to purchases. Basically, people who bought, encouraging them to either come and make another purchase. So, oh, you bought this. You might also like this other thing which matches it. Or inviting people to leave reviews. So collecting reviews on autopilot. Now, these email streams, these automations, they took a bit of time to set up. We had to design the emails, we had to write them, we had to set up, wire up all the automations, wire up all the stuff behind the scenes. But now these automations will run forever on autopilot, selling their products and picking up reviews without them doing anything. And in fact, within the first six months of these streams being active, they'd made 11 times their money back on the cost of us setting up these streams. Because it's like you're investing in building an asset, right? You're investing in building something which is just going to work over and over again. You don't need to maintain this. Once you've set up these streams, once you've got these flows in place, they're done. And as these things run and as they continue to make sales, guess what? That ROI will increase even further. The other thing that this does is they know that every email sign up to that annoying pop-up that opens when you first enter the site is going to be worth an average of £20 to them. Well, that transforms the economics of their traffic generation. Because if you know that, right, we may not sell a product on first visit, but we've got someone signing up here. Great. I now know that that person on average is going to be worth £20 to me. So that visit goes from being like, I didn't monetize it at all to actually we made £20 from that. So it might not sound like a lot, but over time, this completely changes the economics of traffic channels like Google ads or Facebook ads or whatever, because you're now monetizing people even if they don't make a purchase on the first visit. Now, if you're a service or software business, you're probably not going to be running, uh, you know, basket abandonment. What you would do instead is you would automate some of your sales pipeline follow-up. Um, and you probably should do this. Now, we've talked about this. I think we talked about this in a, a couple of videos ago, so I'm not going to go into loads of details. We've got other videos and stuff on this, which you can uh, uh, check out our YouTube channel for. But the key thing is that this stuff should, as much as possible, be on autopilot so that you can track measure and optimize the sequences that you're sending out. You can put this stuff on set and forget. Yes, that's fine. But even better, if you're then looking at, okay, what's the open rate? Oh, this third email, the open rate's a little bit down, click-through rate's a little bit low. Let's try switching these things up. Let's add an incentive here, whatever. You can play with it. You can optimize it because it's something that's like static and it's been built. If you're just doing this, you know, yourself ad hoc, let's just send out a newsletter today. Oh, I'm a little bit bored. It's Friday. I've got 20 minutes before I clock off. Let's just send out a newsletter you can't really optimize that process because it's always changing. Whereas if you've got automation flows being built and you're collecting data about how people are moving through these and what the conversion rates are, you can optimize this. So remember, this is your secret weapon against higher traffic costs. If your competitors only make money when someone purchases, but you're making money when someone lands on your site and fills in a form, there is only one winner in that game. So your final question for the next year is how do you follow up with leads and customers automatically to make sure they purchase, repeat purchase and advocate for you? If you're not collecting reviews on autopilot, also need to have a word with yourself. So I hope you found this useful. Those five questions will take you a good portion of the way 
into uh, making this your best year ever with your digital marketing. As always, if you need any help with anything digital marketing related, you can uh, hit us up at ExposureNinja.com and request a review or just drop us a contact form. If you want to email me personally, Tim at ExposureNinja.com. And uh, until next week, see you soon.